start out with, <coughs> let me make you aware of a few things coming up. This Wednesday at West Ark, it'll be the day after Christmas, we will have a um, single devotional time in here at 7 o'clock. And, uh, and then on the um, next Sunday will be the 30th, and we'll have our uh, time here, just like we're having tonight. But on the 31st, I want to invite you to a game night for New Year's Eve that starts at 8.30. And we'll go to midnight. And so you bring, uh, it, it's all up to us. It's just a family gathering. You bring whatever foods, whatever games you want and invite your friends. And there will be others here. And I really think there will be a lot of people that will be present for that who need the encouragement of being with others for one reason or another. That maybe it's... Um, Maybe it's a hedge against loneliness for them, or maybe it is going to, let's be honest, on New Year's Eve, uh, there's a lot of temptations for some people, and so this will keep them, uh, maybe maybe it'll provide them a much better alternative, and so you might meet some new friends, and you'll be able to gather with the old friends, so plan on that for New Year's Eve, which is Monday, December 31st, 8.30. Tonight, I want to invite you to... um, and please excuse the uh, cough drop. Um, it's, it's helping me right now, uh, keeping this all from getting too dry. Anyway, I want to invite you on a, uh, on a campaign with me to move Christmas and the Christmas story from just being a, a sentimental story. There's certainly some sentiment to it. This morning when we were reading the Matthew story and... Um, I couldn't help but be moved by the description of the, of the wise men, that when they saw the child in its mother's arms, that they knelt down in adoration. And yet, that's not just a historical um, fact that stays in the past disconnected to us. That's the other campaign I'd like to move towards, is that we, we regard the story of the birth of Jesus as more than just something in the past, but it has meaning for today. I want to, here's, here's one of those little extra clippings that, that you have to uh, edit out of the sermons you know, to, to move along and make your point. I was struck by the fact that these Eastern scholars in the story, the wise men, the magi, whatever you want to call them, they come from the East. They come seeking the, the Messiah or the newborn king. And there's a lot of it that they don't understand right now. But they know that something is import, important has happened simply because they're tracking a star. And one of the things that we're hearing about happening in the world today is that because of the crisis in the, in the Middle East and the refugee situation that we have in Syria, worshipers of uh, Islam are coming to Jesus. They know a little bit about Jesus. They know some things about Jesus. But they're, they're seeing visions and they're, they're, they're hearing things and they're learning about Jesus. And I couldn't escape the parallel. I don't really know what the point is there, except that it really puts a new twist on that little phrase we say where it says, wise men still seek him. Yes, and so do desperate people looking for hope. One of the um, prophecy stories that illustrates how we can do this is what you'll find in Isaiah 7. 
And uh, Matthew, you'll remember, in, in Matthew chapter 2, would often point back to one of the prophets, and he would say, this fulfilled what was said in the prophets. This, was fulfilled, uh, this fulfilled what was said by another of the prophets. In chapter 1, he says that, and he uses Isaiah 7. Let's take a look at Isaiah 7 real quickly. Um, when Ahaz, the son of Jotham, and the grandson of Uzziah, the king of Judah, uh, was ki- or was king of Judah, King Rezin of Syria, and Pekah, son of uh, Remaliah, the king of Israel, set out to attack Jerusalem, but they were unable to carry out their plan. News had come to the royal court of Judah, Syria is aligned with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear like trees shaking in a storm. They were, if you remember some of our earlier sermons, they were discouraged. They had their courage ripped from them because their enemies were stacking up against them. Israel to the north and Syria over to their east were allied against them. They were, they were facing the enemy on multiple fronts. But the Lord decided that this is not how Judah would end. So the Lord says to his prophet Isaiah, you take your son, whose name is Sher Jashub, which means a remnant will return. Already in the name of one of his children, the, the future of, of Judah and Israel is, um, is already being hinted at in that name. Anyway, he says, you take your son, you go out to meet King Ahaz. You'll find him at the end of the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where the cloth is washed. Tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he does not need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned-out embers, the king of Syria and the son of Ramalia. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, saying, We will attack Judah and capture it for ourselves, and then we will install the son of Tabil as Judah's king. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. It will never take place. Syria is no stronger than its capital, Damascus. Damascus is no stronger than its king, Rezin. As for Israel, within 65 years, it will be crushed and completely destroyed. Israel is no stronger than its capital, Samaria. Samaria is no stronger than its king, Pekah, son of Ramalia. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. Later, the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven, or as deep as the place of the dead. Now, let's understand what's going on here. Isaiah is showing up to the king of Judah, who's terrified, who's worried, who's discouraged. And he's saying, yes, they're plotting against you, but God has already determined this is not going to happen. Now, there's your thus saith the Lord. But this thus saith the Lord is unique because it comes with a bonus. God is offering a sign. When you read scripture, you realize that God is not really into giving out signs. He gives out signs as he chooses. But often when the people want a sign or they ask for a sign or Show us something to trust in. Give us a miracle. Even when Jesus is asked to do that, there's a reluctance to do that. 
because people will trust in the sign rather than the God who gives the sign. But this is different. Here, God is so invested in this that he's saying, go ahead. Ahaz, you're getting a once-in-a-lifetime offer. You ask me for a sign that I'll back this, I'll give it to you. This is unique. But the king says, oh no, I'll not test the Lord like that. He takes his pious high ground and says, no, no, you're not supposed to do that, so that's okay. Besides, he's, he's, and he's really not pious to the point that he doesn't want to ask the Lord for a sign. It's just that he's got another plan worked out. He's got an alliance with, a, with, a, with another nation that's going to cost him and his people dearly. And that's what God is so concerned about. Isaiah said, listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then. The Lord himself will give you the sign. And here it is. Look. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. By this time, by the, t- by the time that this child is old enough to choose what's right and reject what's wrong, <clears throat> he will be u- eating yogurt and honey, and, for, and before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear so much will both be destroyed. Now, this is the off-spoken verse that you're going to see over and over again. Uh, the virgin will conceive, she'll give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. And so we see that inscribed in different places. Oh, that's the Christmas verse. That's, oh, that's about Jesus. Uh, what, what, is it try, what, what is the point of it here in Isaiah 7? Because the meaning of it here in Isaiah 7 has something to do with the meaning of it in Matthew verse, or chapter 1. The, the meaning of the word virgin in the context, in Isaiah's context, in, in Isaiah's time, may, have, may simply mean one of the young women of the court, the royal household of David. Okay. Uh, or it may mean a virgin, as we typically understand the term. There's no indication that the conception here has anything to do with the Holy Spirit. Now that will become a point in Luke and Matthew's gospel, but um, here it's just the idea that this young woman's going to have a child, and it's a time frame. It's, we're going to name the child Emmanuel. We've already seen one child with a name that means something, Sher, Jashub. Well, here it's Emmanuel, which means, and notice the meaning, God is with us. That child's going to be named that. Now, before the child is, is old enough um, to choose what's right and reject what's wrong, when he's eating table food, yogurt and honey, He's not just nursing or having milk. But by the time the child is, is just that old, and that's not very old, by that time the two enemies you're worried about are going to be gone. This is a sign given in time that they can understand and they can look to and they can remember, okay, who of us don't, you know, we cannot connect something to the birth of a child um, or, um, or some other significant event in our life. Here Isaiah is giving them that sign, and they have to understand. Is it miraculous? Not necessarily here. But the miracle power is not the point of it. It's the name. Now over in Matthew, 
There is a miraculous side to it. There is the conception of the Holy Spirit that God intervenes in human history in a particular way. But again, the meaning of the name is there. God is with us. And so the birth of that child in Isaiah's time was meant to be a sign. And then the birth of Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, is meant to be a sign as well that God is with us. And that all of those things that we worry about, all of those things that we get concerned about and try to work up our own solutions, we need to stop and look to the fact that God is with us. Now, we don't, you know, there's not a lot else that we know about this child born to Ahaz. It, it, this doesn't really matter that much. But the birth of Jesus Christ is significant enough that all of these prophecies work together to explain his presence and existence in our world. And now, looking forward to Jesus or looking back, we remember that his presence among us, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his continuing presence reminds us to stop worrying and to trust in God who is with us and not in the powers that we can come up with. Well, Isaiah's prophecy is, un, is disrespected. There's, uh, there, there's, there's no respect for it at all. Uh, Ahaz rejects it. Isaiah has, um, he has a lot of disappointment he has to go through. Um, and Isaiah is told to take the prophecy, bind it up, in other words, write it down, seal it so that we, you know, date it, in other words, and then maybe future generations will come back and they'll look at it and they'll understand it kind of a restoration movement in in old Judah there, uh, that maybe people will come back to this and they'll see it, Isaiah. And so Isaiah's prophecies, as they continue, they operate on two levels. One, they operate before the fact when Isaiah was alive and living. And then at another time, they're they're the notes and the sermons and the teachings of Isaiah that are being opened up for a later time. And people are saying, look, do we see that? Do we see that God was promising that he would be with us? These prophecies that I think when Matthew is collecting them in Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2 and he's bringing them together, he's saying, look, we saw this coming and now you can even look back. Even in our day and age, we can look back and we can see how God was at work. So here we are living between the birth of Jesus, the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and his return that's been promised. If we can understand what God was doing by intervening with his birth and his death, burial, and resurrection, then, then maybe that will give us some hope not to grow weary and think, well, you know, I mean, the return of Christ, is that, is that really a reality anymore? Because it's been a long time. Ah, oh, but it is. And whether we live to see it or not, it sets up some expectations. And if we can see this scope of history that's going from the time of Isaiah even, which is hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, then maybe you and I can understand what it means to live in the presence with the sign of Emmanuel, God is with us. I want you to take that encouragement with you. Like Lee said, some good encouragements, just the everyday stuff of waking up and realizing that you're alive today. Well, wake up and remember, find your own Emmanuel 
over this holiday season, whatever it is, and just remember God is with us. And how is he with you? And maybe you can find that sign. Maybe you need to write it down on something. Maybe you just need to note it somewhere. Well, um, let's stand and sing this song together and encourage one another. The uh, communion's been prepared in room 100, and then uh, Michael will dismiss us in prayer after this. Let's stand and sing it.